This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig on Moose FM. Welcome to the show. Later, we'll be chatting with Taylor Bain Sakosa, Fort Nelson First Nations member, who is the BC Assembly of First Nations Youth Representative. She went with the delegation to meet with Pope Francis earlier this year. So we're going to talk a bit about that experience and much, much more. But first, the BC government passed Bill 36 at the end of November, I guess rammed it through might be a little more accurate, which will overhaul the system of professional colleges for healthcare occupations in the province and create a new oversight body that will regulate them, among other changes. To talk a bit about the bill and the enormous response he received about it, we're joined now by Peace River North MLA, Dan Davies. Dan, welcome back to Moose Talks. Good morning, Dub. Thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, so let's uh, break down the bill a bit, if we can, first. Uh, really simply put, as I understand it, it will reorganize the current system of professional colleges governing health professionals into B- in B.C., making it into six instead of the 20-ish it is now. And there will be one larger oversight body on top of it run by the government. Health Minister Adrian Dix says the legislation will streamline the process to regulate new health professions, provide stronger oversight, provide more consistent discipline across the professions, act in the public interest and protect patient care in the province, while also laying the groundwork for further, or rather to further reduce the total number of regulatory colleges. I missed that. Can you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's this really about, if you can break this down So there, there's a lot of pieces, um, you know, and, and, and I want to back up a little bit sure. uh, at the start of the bill, the introduction of the bill, the int- or what the fall session looked like at the end, and you alluded to it in your opening comments, mm-hmm. rammed it through. Um, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, you know, this was... Uh, I think one of the biggest, if not the biggest bill ever introduced into the BC legislature. Wow. Uh, it was 600, uh, six, I think it was 600 sections long. <laughs> um, I mean, the thing was, you know, <laughs> half a foot thick, uh, <laughs> the binder. It took up a whole binder itself. And, you know, so obviously our role as the official opposition is to to treat that with rigor, to go through each section, to make sure that, um, we are doing our best to put that second lens on it, making sure that we're looking out for the interests of not only, you know, the, the, the public, uh, but, you know, our constituents, each of us represent ridings. And, you know, un- unfortunately, uh, we, we only got, I'm not even sure we made it a quarter of the way through the bill mm-hmm. um, before they brought in what is called closure. Um, or the guillotine, uh, and it's literally that. Uh, they basically say, you have one more hour left, um, good luck. And uh, they, they bring through, and of course, uh, the NDP do have the majority, uh, a fairly hefty majority in the, in the BC legislature. So uh, when that came up, of course, we, we did oppose and uh, said that we do need more time. It went through, the guillotine went through, we debated for an hour, and uh, for for whatever reason, there seems to be a misconception out there that we all voted in favor of it. Uh, that is not true. Um, the official opposition did uh, completely oppose it. Uh, mm-hmm. All members opposed it. Uh, we, we took that stance. And we took that stance because <clears throat> a, a number of reasons. First of all, we did not get the chance 
to properly uh, go through the bill, to scrutinize it, um, and, you know, obviously to do what's in the best interest of British Columbians. So uh, the government basically used their majority to ram this uh, through, the legis- uh, through the legislature. Um, so the, the, back to the bill itself, there, there are a number of colleges uh, in, in the province. Uh, the, the government's plan is to reduce those down and streamline it into, into something smaller. Um, there are a couple good things in it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, every bill has obviously good things to, to it as well. I mean, to streamline the international, uh, you know, international uh, health practitioners that come from other countries, there was pieces like that. Um, but like I say, our, our biggest issue that we had around this is uh, uh, we've seen this government not do very well when they have oversight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen, you know, whether it's, you know, talking just something regionally or locally, the caribou issue, how they've stick-handled that. It's been a disaster. Uh, backcountry access, you know, the snowmobile challenge. I mean, you know, these are things that our government mm-hmm. uh, is, is overseeing. Well, you know, here we are now talking a system that is already quite fragile, uh, our, our health system, and we're going to now have more government insight but well, the government can't do its job right now. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this is what concerns us a lot is when we start looking at, uh, you know, what is this going to look like? Mm-hmm. And we never had the chance to even ask those questions. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we have a lot of concerns uh, about how the government is going to implement this. Uh, what are the long-term, you know, what are the long-term consequences or the unintended mm-hmm. consequences that might come out of this Bill 36? Mm-hmm. So this definitely, uh, I mean, again, you're in opposition, so your job is to oppose the government. But this this needed more time because it was oh, so enormous. It's such a big change. Yeah. Why are they ramming through at the end of the session? I mean, one of the parts that really... Uh, stood out to me was the fact that uh, go- boards of these colleges, I guess, will now be government appointed rather than elected. Yeah, what could I, go wrong there? Right. What could I, go wrong there? I assume uh, <laughs> now they're elected by the members of each college, and now the government's not, oh, we're just going to make this a board appointment, which, you know, could mean it's their friends. It could mean anything, yeah. right? As well intentioned as know, it may where be. Where have we seen other boards go bad? Uh, let's say BC <laughs> Housing. You know, uh, uh, David, uh, or sorry, the government appointed yeah. a new BC Housing Board, and you know, just uh, I mean, it was the the shortest lived board mm-hmm. uh, appointed because they were a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you can see when we start getting these little flags, you know, uh, rising up, it's like, well, what is this going to look like? Mm-hmm. You know, here, here's a government that can't organize, you know, the simplest of things in many cases, um, now wanting to interject uh, in, into a system that, A, they've been in charge of for now almost six years, that yeah. has completely been run into the ground. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, uh, John Horgan said himself, I mean, the, the healthcare system is crumbling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it is a system that's on, on life support systems itself. And mm-hmm. when, when you get a bill like uh, Bill 36 that, uh, you know, with, with the wide-reaching fingers that it has into all these different pieces, <clears throat> maybe now's not the time to be starting to fiddle around with, you know, those pieces. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the issues. Mm-hmm. There's bigger issues uh, to fry within the healthcare system right now. Mm-hmm. You know, let's get hiring people into those frontline services, more nurses, more doctors. Mm-hmm. You know, and there has been some improvements made, but we have a long ways to go. Yeah, I mean, and, you mentioned those it, are issues uh, with the. Um, uh, I'm I'm going to use the incorrect term, but with the kind of international people bringing people mm-hmm. in from outside the country. You said this bill will help streamline that process a bit, which is. Good news, because in theory, it'll get people into yep. these open positions of which there's hundreds of them yep. faster. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we have and, and you know, there, there is, like I say, there are good pieces to it. Um, you know, don't don't get me wrong. And 
Um, you know, Shirley Bond, uh, our health critic, did an incredible job. Um, you know, as you can imagine, when uh, you know we get we get first reading, and, and I and you know this might have been where some of the confusion was on mm-hmm. on the first reading of the bill. We all vote in favor because that that is procedure, right? Because yeah. you don't know what's in the bill. Mm-hmm. The bill's read a first time. You vote to move it into where you can now look at it. So, um, you know, we all did vote in favor of that uh, to see what the bill looks like because you you don't get the bill until it's first read. Mm -hmm. And then you start looking at the sheer size uh, of this bill and, uh, you know, Shirley Bond, uh, uh, you know, the MLA for Prince George Peace, Prince, ah, I'm mixing up, uh, Prince George Valmont, Mm -hmm. uh, who's our health critic, did an unbelievable job at going through through the bill as best she could and, and, you know, doing as best she could with what little time we were giving. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they pulled the same stuff on, on numerous bills at the very end. And they even introduced the last week of session on Tuesday, they introduced two large housing bills. Mm -hmm. You know, that's unheard of, you know, when we were already being squished for time on, on, I think there were seven bills that were still being debated. They introduced two more, like it was just, it was so disorganized uh, so planned, mm-hmm. uh, even I think uh, Bill 36, how it was planned out, like, okay, you know, this is going to, you know, we, we'll be able to just push this through because we're going to run out of time. Mm-hmm. And it didn't help them taking a week off the week before as well. And that yeah. doesn't help, obviously. Right. Um, I did want to talk about the uh, response you got to this because yeah. this one really uh, surprised me a bit. Uh, your portfolio is poverty and social development. Yeah. Uh, so when you had said you got some 700 emails about this, I said, well, you're not even the health critic. And, yeah. and you got this response. What was the response and who are you hearing it from that, that was so enormous? Yeah, well, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, what we, what we see on a lot of these bills um, is, and, and not all 700 were, were local residents. Sure. In fact, you know, a small fraction of those were local, but there were a number of local people as well. And, um, you know, as, as we go through it, you know, we, we get on these email chains that's sent to every MLA in the province. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, a lot of people were... Uh, worried about the government piece, uh, the appointed, uh, the appointed part, um, you know, taking autonomy uh, away from a number of these colleges. Um, you know, there there was, I think, uh, confusion around what the COVID uh, requirements were, uh, the, the vaccination, I should say, uh, requirements were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those were kind of the uh, the I, I would say those were the. Uh, pieces that we were hearing about from across the province, and um, you know they were they were from you know your your average person on the street to some people that were working within uh, you know within the profession themselves. So mm-hmm. we were hearing quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> as you can imagine, it's uh, quite difficult to to reply to every single one of those. Um, uh, we we did have kind of a uh, a blanket response. My focus is to try and is trying to bring out the local ones and make sure that we do address uh, local local uh, constituent concerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, have you? I, I think you said this already. You have heard from some people who are members of these colleges. Um, what have you heard from them? Are they upset that there's going to be an amalgamation? Yeah, and I think you know. And and again, let's let's look at what we've seen in the past is a pattern of uh, poor consultation. Yeah, and and I think that's probably the biggest piece that's been missing out of this mm-hmm. um, is is a failure to to go deep and consult. Um, I mean, you're you're now talking about going into someone's profession mm-hmm. and disassembling what has been. Mm-hmm. And to do that with uh, little or or limited consultation, 
um, isn't fair to anybody concerned. Mm-hmm. And and again, when when you do that, you you know rightly so you get people backed into a corner. And and there's that kind of fight or flight. It's like hey. You know, this is my livelihood, mm-hmm. what, what is happening here. So I, I, I think that's probably one of the big challenges uh, that we've seen on and on and on again uh, mm-hmm. with, with this present government is um, a failure to consult, certainly a failure to consult with the right people. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is more palatable, this bill would be more palatable? Of course, if we had time to actually debate it in the House. Yeah. But if this oversight body didn't have government appointed uh, appointed board would would that make this would that make more sense to you and the liberal party even if you're philosophically opposed to more government in general well you know let's say on the surface probably more more so yeah um but uh, let's let's talk to the colleges let's 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 go to the colleges and say Okay, there there are a number of colleges here working independently of each other. We've heard from constituents across the province that yeah. it's creating X problem. How do we fix it? Come to us with solutions. We'll work with you with solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take the solutions from the people that are in the profession, as opposed to having you know bureaucrats mm-hmm. and 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 government uh, folks saying this is what's best for you, mm-hmm. because again, it hasn't worked. Um, you know, we, we need to be engaging people. We need to be engaging uh, stakeholders that work within, you know, whatever it is. And, and in this case, Bill 36, the Health uh, Professions Act. But, but in anything, we need to be engaging the right people uh, to make sure that we are getting good policy, making sure that we are creating good legislation that in turn is going to have long-term positive results, not this unknown. Because right now there's a lot of unknown. We don't know. Today, you know, I mean, we are in a healthcare crisis right now. Um, you know, we don't know, and and nor do we expect that this is going to be a fix. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's probably not going to make any difference. If not, there could be some unintended consequences down the road. Mm-hmm. So it's probably not the right time to to be bringing in a piece of legislation like this. And certainly, back to your other piece, you know, just the 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 fact of if we had enough time to debate the bill introduce amendments hey this doesn't work you know because our job as opposition is also we do reach out to the the colleges and say hey this bill's on the floor mm-hmm. what's your thoughts how can we make it better how can we help you get your voice into this bill and and oftentimes this is where we do bring in fact we did early on in the bill and i and, and i i can't remember what it was but we did bring an amendment mm-hmm. in that was passed and accepted so so we do have that ability as opposition to make amendments mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that uh, often we bring from our stakeholders that we hear from. And uh, if we had more time, you know, we, we probably could have, you know, made improvements to the bill. But holy man, you know, the size of this bill, I mean, we would have needed a, a, a long time to, uh, to go through it. I mean, it, it, it was a massive bill. I've never, well, no one's ever seen one this big. Wow. Unbelievable. All right, Dan. We'll have to leave it there. But thank you so much for being on the show again. And uh, happy holidays to yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. All <laughs> the other things in between. And most importantly, uh, spend some time with family and loved ones. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Dan. That's uh, Dan Davies, the Peace River Peace River North uh, MLA. We'll be right back to talk to Taylor Bain Sakosa right after this on Moose Talks. Welcome back to the show. Now we're going to talk with somebody who uh, is interesting in general they uh, are a member of the uh, fort nelson first nations 
uh, and I've lost my notes here. My apologies. Uh, also a uh, uh, BC Assembly of First Nations youth representative who went with the delegation to meet with Pope Francis earlier this year. We're very glad to be joined now by Taylor Bain Sakosa, who calls us from uh, Fort Nelson. Uh, Taylor, welcome to Moose Talks. Thanks. Thank- Happy to be here. Thank you so much for taking some time to uh, chat with us today. Um, as I said, you're a youth representative with the BC Assembly of First Nations. I was just kind of curious how that came about in your life. How did you um, come to get that opportunity to be that? Yeah, so I actually got this during the pandemic. Um, and I remember seeing on Facebook that uh, the, uh, the female youth representative position was uh, was becoming open and that they were looking for uh, young First Nations women in BC to to put their name forward and to be considered for the chiefs to decide who they thought was going to best represent them and uh, youth in this province. And so I approached my, my chief counselor, Charlene Gale, uh, expressing interest that I was like, I would really like to do this. Can you support me in this? And she did. And um, yeah, I, I got to attend their AGM in the fall of 2020 and I was out of five amazing, amazing um, other young women that could have been chosen. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the Chiefs and Assembly chose me, and it was really, yeah, it was quite the honor, and it still is. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I started this journey with this BC Assembly First Nations. And what's sort of your role then? I mean, as you said, you attended the AGM. I assume that's one part, but that's only part of kind of uh, what you do. Um, can you tell us a bit about kind of, uh, you know, what it, kind of the other things you're kind of responsible for, uh, kind of the the normal things, if we want to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and thinking back to like when I first, you know, was thinking about putting my name forward, I didn't really know what this position um, entailed other than, you know, I, I know that the Assembly First Nation as a whole is an advocacy body for First Nations in Canada mm-hmm. um, with the different levels of government. And so I was like, OK, I think, you know, as the youth representative, maybe I'll be a part of those advocacy efforts. Um, and I couldn't even tell you what a day in the life looks like because it, it varies. But basically, I, I get to attend a lot of meetings, both internally with the BC Assembly First Nations the National Assembly First Nations in Ottawa, and then with a lot of different partners, government. Um, yeah, and I get to I get to go to a lot of events, which is fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I think my favorite part of the job is engaging with youth across the province. And um, and because I, I represent BC as the youth representative at the national level, we have the National Youth Council at the Assembly of First Nations. So I also get to engage with the other youth representatives from across the country. And so... Yeah, it's just a lot of, uh, I guess, talking, listening, and, you know, providing my input um, when the opportunity arises. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a bit about sort of why you decided to kind of leap at this chance, even when, as you said, you didn't even really know uh, what it entailed? Well, what kind of led you to a moment where you said, you know, I'd love to be an advocate and, and maybe on a larger scale than perhaps I'm already, or on a different scale even, than I, I maybe already am in my life? Yeah. Um, you know, growing up, I, my mom was chief for, I think it was two terms when I was growing up. So, you know, my siblings and I were, were those, those kids underneath the table, coloring, listening. Um, 
my grandfather was also um, the chief of Fort Nelson First Nation for I think it was like a cumulative of 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, my grandfather was also the grand chief of the Treaty 8 Tribal Association in Fort St. John. So I grew up around this environment of, um, you know, recognizing the importance of having First Nations voices at the table. And so I think all of that combined with, you know, I graduated from my um, health and physical education degree in April of 2020, right at the start of the pandemic. And so when I saw this come up, I think it was November was when I was elected. So I had a few months there of like, you know, what am I going to do next? You know, where, what should I be doing? Um, And so yeah, I thought that, you know, I think this was maybe the next step in in my life and what, um, and kind of shifting my my path because I was dedicated to school for so many years and Mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted to take all that experience and do something with it. And um, yeah, and so here, so I did. (laughs) (laughs) As I understand it, um, sport is, is kind of a big part of your advocacy, isn't it? Very big, yeah. It's, you know, I think reflecting on my own story um, and journey to even getting to being at the Assembly First Nation, sport was a big part of that. And, you know, growing up in Fort Nelson in the north, um, sport was just, you know, what kept me on that, you know, the straight and narrow, that that path that was, um, that taught me discipline and teamwork and all the, you know, the, the great skills that come with uh, being part of a team. And so I always try to bring, you know, those lessons and my experience as, as an athlete to, to the different things that I get to be a part of. And it's really, yeah, it's really, it's really cool. I'm glad, you know, I'm able to create space for like that part of me that's still, you know, that I'm so passionate about. Mm -hmm. So this all sort of leads to what happened uh, to you earlier this year, because you were part of the delegation that went to uh, Rome to meet with Pope Francis. Um, Tell me a bit about that journey, if you could, and, and sort of what that meant to you that you would be, um, essentially granted an audience with him to, to sort of say the things you needed to say, which was you need to work on reconciliation. You and the church need to apologize and these sort of things. Tell me a bit about that experience. Yeah. Um, it's it's crazy to think that it's almost been a year since, um, you know, since we traveled to the Vatican, um, you know, to have that audience with Pope Francis. And I you know, thinking back to it, and it was it was a year ago, like around this time, like October, November, December of 2021, that um, conversations were ramping up, that I got the news that I was going, um, that, you know, we were working with comms to kind of build our, um, our messaging. And I actually, my parents didn't want me to go. Um, I come from a family of survivors. I'm a niece of residential school survivors. My aunties and uncles attended Lower Post Residential School on the BC-Yukon border, and my dad is a day school survivor. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I just remember feeling, though, that, you know, this trip was so much bigger than, than just me, and that um, the AFN was looking for, for a youth voice for this, you know, for a young person to go and to share with Pope Francis, you know, their own stories and the importance of having and having intergenerational survivors as a part of this, you know, um, these efforts to, you know, move this country and our relationship between First Nations and the church and government and all, you know, 
the people that have been so wrong to us that that young voice needed to be part of that. And when the opportunity arose, I knew that even though my parents were very adamant and expressing why they thought I shouldn't go, I knew in my heart that I needed to be there and that my story coming from the North, um, coming from a family of survivors, um, you know, and kind of using my story as a way to tell the church, like, you didn't win and your efforts failed. You know, I'm a first generation university graduate. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, an, I'm a homeowner in my community. I'm breaking all these, you know, harmful, um, like, um, cycles that, you know, were imposed on, on my people and my family. And so I just thought that you know, I brought value to that delegation that went to the Vatican. And I, yeah, I'm really proud of, of everything that, you know, as a group we were able to accomplish. But myself, as someone from, you know, Fort Nelson, I was able to be there was really something special and something that, again, I'm just really, really honored to have been a part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I also wanted to ask you about this as well. Um, we only got a couple minutes left here, sadly. Um, as I understand it, you went to the United Nations Climate Change Conference at the end of November. Is is that true? Yes. Yeah. yeah I traveled to Egypt. Um, yeah, it was quite. If you ever get the chance, highly suggest Egypt. Is amazing. <laughs> well, tell <laughs> tell me a bit about your experience. Then again, I mean, it's not the Pope, but you're again in front of like world leaders and and this sort of uh, situation. What was your experience like uh, there, and and what did you take away from that? Yeah, so um, back in November, I actually just got home like last week, but um, I attended the Conference of the Parties, so COP27 uh, in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, and it's the big United Nations climate change conference. It's mm-hmm. where the entire world comes together to talk about climate change and, you know, things that countries are going to agree to do to kind of combat um you know, the issues that are arising from climate change. And again, I was chosen as the Assembly of First Nations Youth Representative to go. Um, and being there was, was quite the emotional roller coaster. I got to, you know, meet with mostly Indigenous communities from around the world, but um, everyone was there. So you kind of, you get, you get snippets throughout the day of what's going on. And like hearing about what Pacific pe- people in the Pacific are experiencing, their islands are disappearing at rapid rates. And a big part of COP27 was about um, loss and damage and how globally we're going to support communities that in their entire countries are going to be underwater. You know, mm-hmm. where are they going to go? How are we going to support them? And, um, and you know, continuing to to live and to survive in this world where their land is like, no longer there so it was like those parts make made me really sad and i was like oh, like we're this whole climate change and global warming and you know the devastating effects that we felt here in bc like, with the wildfires floods drought um and bringing our story was quite like empowering so it was an emotional roller coaster to say the least um but it was I'm really excited now to continue um, climate change work, both 
hopefully here in our province and nationally uh, with the AFN. So yeah, it was quite, yeah, it was fun. Excellent. Well, Taylor, I'm I'm really sad to say we're out of time. I'm definitely going to ask you to be on Moose Talks again in the future. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to chat with us today. I really appreciate it, your time. Thank you. And I really appreciate having our the regional support and for being given the opportunity to share a bit about um, my journey so far and the things that I've been able to do. And um, yeah, it's really, it's, it's quite an honor to be here as well. And just thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it. Uh, thanks, Taylor. Nice meeting you. Thanks. Our thanks to our guests, Dan Davies and Taylor Bain Sakosa for joining us today. This is the last episode of Moose Talks for a few weeks, but if you're missing us and this beautiful face and voice, you can check out older episodes along with other excellent podcasts on the Energetic City podcast page. Just head over to energeticcity.ca for your listening pleasure. We'll be back with a brand new episode in the new year. Moose Talks is produced by Jordan Prentice and Trey Lopashinsky. I'm Dub Craig. Happy holidays and be well. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.